0: Uh, today's scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times You may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: Good evening and good morning for those who are watching tomorrow morning. Good morning. As you can see, I have moved from there to here. need more room. um as i always uh, begin james the book of james chapter 3 verse 1 holds me accountable to you and in front of the lord that passage says those who we should not all strive to be teachers because those who are teachers will be judged more strictly so i will stand before god one day for what I am about to do in the next 30 minutes. Uh, so that helps me to stay focused in my study and my prayer um, and invite the Holy Spirit to help me as I look through these passages to bring the Word of God to you weekly. If you've been here a couple of weeks, you're wondering where Dave is. Dave is taking a well deserved vacation. He will be back soon. We miss him. Uh, I miss him. Um, but he will be back uh, soon. Um, been here now nine months, right? And you guys, one thing you've stepped up. Uh, when I say good evening, you respond, right? That's been so good. Uh, I'm gonna try something this evening. We're gonna take one more step. You ready to take one more step with me? One more step. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor to become a Christian is to become more generous (laughs) to become a Christian is to become more generous that's the title of this evening's exchange between you and I before we begin let's open in a word of prayer will you bow your heads with me Heavenly Father Would you be the truth that comes this evening? Would you descend on this place if you have not already? May your presence be felt. Lord, I'm just a mouthpiece. No one came to hear what Marcus Doe has to say. We came to hear what the word of God has for us in Tucson at Redemption Tucson on this day to give us our daily bread for this week. Heavenly Father, would you go before me, Lord, and speak truth. Would you, would, you, would you settle the hearts and minds here as they receive this? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In 2011, there was a Harvard business professor named Michael Horton and a social psychologist named Elizabeth Dunn. They got together and wrote a book called Happy Money. The premise of the book and Michael's TED Talk that attached to that was that money, how money can actually buy you happiness. You scoff. Because we've all heard the phrase money can't buy you happiness. Michael is saying that He argues very persuasively in this TED Talk that money can buy you happiness. He says the key is is that when you get money, you spend it on other people. You find the happiness if you spend the money on other people. So he did an experiment. He went down in Vancouver and he passed out money to groups of people early in the morning, and he said to them, he said, you can either spend the money on yourself or you can spend it on others. And at the end of the day, he had those people who he gave the money to call him to tell him so he could keep statistics on their happiness. Here's what he found. The folks who spend the money on themselves reported being either less happy or not happy at all, just as happy as they were before. The folks who spend the money on other people reported being happier than they were. He said that's interesting, right? He's proving that money, he's trying to prove that money can buy you happiness. Here's, the, here's, here's, the, the, here's the where the study, I think, is incorrect, right? Money can buy you temporary happiness. The correction I'd like to tell Michael is that the duration of happiness based on money is very temporary. You can find happiness, if you're looking for that, in generosity towards other people. In hip-hop culture, now that we're here, there's a phrase in the streets that says, having money ain't everything, but not having it is. Having money ain't everything, but not having, it, not having it is. If you can throw up the, uh, the, um, the passage from 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9. Now, if any one of y'all leave this room and go and tell my seminary professors that I'm quoting from the Message Bible, I will find you. <laughs> the Message Bible, I think, reads, it's a little bit more dynamic in the translation It's a little bit more readable for us now. So I'll read to kind of give us a context of what we're going to get into this evening. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. This is Paul, the writer of this letter to the Corinthians, writing, and I'm reading from the Message Bible. If I wrote any more on this relief offering for the poor Christians, I'd be repeating myself. I know you're on board and ready to go. I've been bragging about you all through Macedonia province, telling them, Achaia province has been ready to go on this since last year. Your enthusiasm by now has spread to most of them. Now I'm sending the brothers to make sure you're ready, as I said you would be, so my bragging won't turn out to be just so much hot air. If some Macedonians and I happen to drop in on you and found you weren't prepared, We'd all be pretty red-faced, you and us, for acting so sure of ourselves. So to make sure that there will be no slip-up, I've recruited these brothers as an advanced team to go to get you and your promised offering already before I get there. I want you to have all the time you need to make this offering in your own way. I don't want to be forced or hurried at the last minute. Paul is writing, to give you a little bit of a context, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. Paul had planted several churches throughout the Middle East in this time. He had planted a church in Thessalonica, he had planted a church in Macedonia, he had planted a church in different places, in Galatia, in different places. All these churches had gotten word from him that the the, the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem were experiencing a famine. They were short on resources. So Paul is asking all of the churches that he's planted, can you guys get together an offering so we can help the church in Jerusalem? This is the context of chapter 9. So when he's saying to them, he said, hey, I've gotten word that the church in Macedonia, they've collected X, Y, and Z, and I've been bragging about you folks in in Corinth that you guys are going to raise some money. And what I heard, I'm kind of worried about your fundraising over there in Corinth. So this, this evening, we're going to walk through why generosity is important and how to actually be generous in life. I've titled this message, to be, like you told your neighbor, to become a Christian is to become more generous. I did not want to use the phrase to be a Christian would be to be more generous simply because to be It's actually a sense of existence, like a sense of static energy, right? When you translate, when you're learning Spanish or French, when you translate or you conjugate, you start with to be, right? To be is kind of a state of being. To become is a continuous action. I hear you, Elliot. I don't hear anybody else. (laughs) I know I'm talking grammar, but stay with me, right? A continuous action... To become something is you're turning into, you're developing towards, you're being transformed, you're growing. The Christian journey is one of becoming, it's a continuous, what the Bible calls, sanctification. Paul uses in this passage in, cha- in verse 6 a farming metaphor to help, us, to help his audience back then to understand the life of generosity. He's using the terms of a farmer and seeds to help his audience back then to understand this. If a farmer, he says, holds on to seed, you see, nothing happens. Right? He will actually be the loser. But if he plants... If a farmer plants the seeds, the seeds multiply, it feeds more, it produces more, and it rarely ever just stops. The generosity of the farmer by planting, the, the nature of seed produce the harvest for many. The, seed, the more seeds you plant generously, generally, chances are the more you will harvest. I'm not, This is not earth-shattering stuff here, right? We know this. You put seeds in the ground, plants come up. The more seeds you put in the ground, the more plants come up. The more food you're gonna have, right? Basics. If you're tuning me out right now, I need you to. to if you're thinking about what you're gonna have for dinner, if you ever have dinner, or what happened yesterday, or what's gonna happen tomorrow, I need you to zone in. Generosity is countercultural. Generosity is countercultural. It is natural in seed in seed world and farming world, but for us. We have to fight against the nature to hoard. Generosity is countercultural. Something different happened here last year in this congregation. In this congregation, something happened. At Redemption Tucson, many families actually left this congregation last year, as with most churches, right? Attendance came down, commitments started to shrink, participation was scarce here and around the country and around the world. However, in this particular congregation, financial giving actually stayed the same or in some months went up. That was the point y'all were supposed to say, amen, I'm just giving y'all, I'm throwing y'all something out here, but nobody, man, (laughs) yeah. It was different and shocking because in most places, like you know, voluntary financial commitments last year went down they were strained many leaders including myself faced sleepless nights and anxiety about the financial survival of nonprofits and different things businesses what would happen last year i was i was working at a nonprofit in a church nonprofit had 38 staff church had 6 staff right nonprofit was solely privately funded so we had to raise all of the money last march or april It became clear to us that we would not have enough money past June 15th if we never raised another dime. You tell me if you could sleep. Mm. Generosity is countercultural. That didn't happen in this congregation. When we finance, when we in our culture today, it says this: When we invest something financially, when we invest into something, we should receive want a measurable return on our investment. If I pay for an education, I'm going to get something out of that education to help me to multiply. Does that make sense? Simple economics. Paul is writing something totally different here, though. He's saying, he's using this agricultural metaphor to describe a natural idea. Your rate of return is directly proportional to your sowing, he says. The more seeds you put into the soil, you know this, the more you should harvest. But last year, with all the uncertainty, we weren't sure even if we should be sowing. Right? It got rough. Like, should I be giving my, I don't know what's going to happen in June. I don't know if I'll lose my job. Should I continue to give to different ministries? Should I continue to give to the church? Should I continue to give to Tucson Refugee Mission? Should I continue to give to International Justice Mission? Should I continue to give to missionaries around the world? Should I hold on to what I have, or should I give? Our natural instinct is actually to hoard stuff when things get tough. It's to save, to keep so that we have in abundance. To be generous in a time of hardship is countercultural. It's unsafe, naturally, to sow, when a drought is coming, in a time of famine, with all the other neighbors going through famine, the church in Jerusalem is going through a famine. A famine. Paul's asking them, he say, like, "You guys, you need to give." They're like, "Wait a minute. What if the famine hits us?" Paul is saying, not only did he say you should give, he said give willingly and without reluctance. In this passage. Let me take you on a little journey of hypothetical here. What if farmers didn't sow? What if a farmer received seeds and he never sowed them? What if, it, what if they hoarded seeds in fear that they would lose whatever little they would, have, they would have? That is absurd, isn't it? If a farmer gets seed and he's supposed to plant it and he says, no, I'm not going to do it because I want to keep it because I don't know what's going to happen. A selfish farmer with no vision for the future is the one who would do that. And a farmer who does that will will soon not have a farm. I need you to follow me. A farmer who holds the seeds will no longer have a farm. Instead, farmers willingly, we know this, they willingly sow because there's a multiplication that occurs when you sow. Out of one seed can come many. A farmer's soul is willingly, not under compulsion, for he knows the natural results that will come. Paul is saying this is how it works in the spiritual realm as well. Verse 8, he says, A clear reason why we ought to be generous, so that we can abound in grace and have sufficiency. If you're an underliner, a highlighter in your Bible, this is it, right? Right? To have sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. All all every we live as if this is too good to be true. If you look at your life, you operate like sometimes some of us operate like the farmer who gets the seed and holds on to it. Am I on your couch? You operate as if maybe this promise doesn't or this passage doesn't apply to you. So, what's your posture here at church? Are you a hoarding farmer or are you a sowing farmer? Are you going with your selfish instinct or God's natural order? Here's what's interesting, right? If you hoard, the seeds will die unfulfilled. If you hoard, if you if you don't plant them, you eventually die. Eventually we die. But if you give, it multiplies. It got quiet. But if you give, it multiplies. A lot of the beauty that we see in our society today is because some, of someone's generosity. A lot of the natural beauty that we see is because of God's generosity. God's generosity meets our needs. What if God held back oxygen? Our generosity meets the needs of others. In this passage, Paul is asking the Corinthians to make, a, make generosity an area in which they excel. He said, if you believe in Jesus Christ, generosity has to be a part of your life it is selfish and sinful and unnatural actually to hoard it's countercultural to live generously to be a christian to become a christian folks is to become more generous this is not done in our own in our own strength we know this is done in in the power of the holy spirit ways that we can become more generous when you and i think of generosity right maybe this is just me maybe i'm talking to myself We almost always think finances. When you think generosity, you almost always think financial resources. You always think money. I need to give money. I need to give money. But there are ways that you can be generous and live a generous life and a sowing life that has very little to do with financial resources. You're like, tell me more. (laughs) Verse 11. Paul writes... You will be enriched in every way. To be generous in every way. When I was a teenager, I'm not. I'm not saying anything you don't know. Uh, I I was attending a church where every October, some of you guys know this, would preach a sermon on giving. And on that Sunday, the pastor would 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 preach about giving. And most of the time, it was about finances. Right? And, and it felt a little shameful. It felt like, man, he's asking for more money yet again, yet again, and yet again. Right? He was, he was right in, in asking for money. Most pastors actually get themselves in trouble here because they restrict giving to strictly financial. Believe me, financial is important. We need to give financially, but there are more ways for people to give than just money. Verse 7 says, each one must purpose in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion. In other words, you need to think about it beforehand. When I was in high school, whatever I had in my wallet that when the play came around, that's what, that's what I put in. I didn't think about it, right? It's like, oh. And then I, I felt like I graduated to a different level of giving when I, when I wrote the check at home and prayed over it. That was great, right? I was thinking, I'm thinking about this beforehand. I'm gonna write this church and I purposely I'm gonna give I wanna give this to the Lord, I'm gonna put it in the offering plate. And it was it was a genuine heart, it was a good thing. What what was what was what was what was the problem, I would say, is I restricted my giving to just finances. I was thinking purely in financial terms, because this passage says we have been enriched in every way to give in every way. We can become generous in a lot of ways. Let me just give you a few. We can become generous in our thoughts. We can become generous in our words and our deeds. We can become generous with our time. We can become generous with our talent. We can become generous with our networks. We can become generous with our knowledge. I'm going to speak on, uh, you know the rest, but I'm going to speak on uh, networks and knowledge for a second. Like I said, I used to work at this nonprofit. And we would help people get out of poverty, uh, people coming out of jail, single moms, and we would actually pair them up with folks who were college educated who were doing really well. And what became clear to me after doing this five or six times was that when you go to college or you get a master's degree or a PhD, you develop a different level of a network that a lot of other people don't have. And we fail, we don't think about being generous with our network when someone's looking for work or someone's looking for a connection. That's generosity. Being generous with your, your, your network is actually a way to be generous to people. You follow? Being generous with your knowledge. I'm gonna step into the fray of the boomer versus the millennial conversation. If you want to send me an email, my email is davegoffany at... <laughs> I'm kidding. Here's how we can be generous with our knowledge. What we have in our brains. Besides the, the, the specialty that we have, just the generosity of culture is important. Knowledge of culture. Let me start with the millennial. You grew up kind of in this, in this ecology of technology. You understand it, it's secondhand to you, you don't have to think about it, you get it, right? You work at a building, you work in a company with folks who are over 50, nobody in here, people who are over 50. And sometimes, this, uh, this is my work experience, you will, you will get an email that goes through the entire company and somebody maybe stereotypically over 50 will reply all. You laugh, but you will talk about that person and not share your culture or be generous with your knowledge about technology etiquette to tell that person they don't necessarily have to reply all. That person is stuck on an island, they don't know. That's generosity to share with them. You understand? You understand technology and you grew up in the ecology of it. You get the ethic of it, right? with the boomer generation, you were so good at financial generosity. If you look at any city in this country, most of the old church buildings are all paid off because the boomers were extremely generous. What has happened though, we haven't been able to transfer that knowledge to the younger generation so that they can be generous. You understand? So there's a challenge for both sides here, a challenge of knowledge, what you you may not think is worth anything on the boomer side is actually worth a lot to the millennial side. What you don't think is worth so much on the millennial side is actually worth a ton on the boomer side, right? I'm gonna step out of that fray now. (laughs) Here are three ways that I wrote that we could be more generous, like I said, in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. In your thoughts, be generous. We start with thoughts because we cannot be generous with our words or deeds if it doesn't start in our brains, if it doesn't start in our hearts, if it doesn't start in the place that Paul called the splechna, where your decisions get made, right? If you are not first generous in your thoughts, but in your heart, you you have to be open for the enrichment of God. You have to be open to God speaking to you so that your thoughts change. Romans 12:2 says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you drive to work, that period of time, whatever it is 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, it seems like everything in Tucson is 20 minutes away, but on your 20-minute drive, purpose in your heart to pray for someone. That's thought generosity. Right? Purpose in your heart today to think of someone. You want to become someone who is generous with their thoughts. When you think of other people, think think the best of them, if you will. Right? Generosity in thoughts. Generosity of words. This is so important. This is so important. Words of affirmation. That's a generosity of words. So few people receive affirmation in our world today that we, we hoard our, our affirmation. We hoard telling people, hey, you did an excellent job at X, Y, and Z. Where criticism is just everywhere, activism, negative fashions of activism is everywhere. It's, it's hard, it's few and far between to find people who would actually tell the truth in affirmation. Truth telling is a way of being generous, not gossiping. It's a way of being generous. Every interaction you have with another human being is an opportunity to be generous with your words. Be specific in your praise. Purpose in your heart to be intentional, to be truthful, and be generous with your words. That was awesome. That's not it. (laughs) That was amazing. That's not it. Specificity. I can't say that word. Specifically. <laughs> be specific. There you go. Be specific in your affirmation of other people. This is important when you're a parent. To be specific in your be specific in your generosity to your kids. If you're a leader, principal in, in a workplace in some ways, be specific. It's a blessing to your people. I hadn't planned on saying this, but this Thursday I was checking my messages. I, sometimes my messages run over, you know, voicemail, you know the deal. And I was finally getting through to check them. And on Thursday afternoon I checked the message. And a friend of mine, an associate that I hadn't talked to in probably five or six years, took his own life on Sunday. And I went back and went to his Facebook, went to, went to the, and the things that he had been saying just told me he he did not have too many people affirming the image of God in him. How can we be more generous in our deeds? We can share our life with people. Share our homes with people. It is much easier for any one of us to go home, to go to work and go home, go home, go to work, go home, go to work, go home, go to work. It's actually a lonelier life and it's a hoarding life. You have something to give. Purpose in your heart to be most generous with your talent, your network. If you know something that will bless someone else, let them know. If you're someone who can help in a situation, tell people. If you know a great immigration lawyer and someone's looking for an immigration lawyer, help them. on the trajectory that I think we are headed as a congregation, we'll get more and more people in our midst who actually will need our generosity. And we'll, we, they, will, they will offer something to us that is generous, but we can also offer something to them that's generous, right? If we live in a community of Christians, we ought to be generous towards each other in basic ways. To become a Christian is to become more generous. A few years ago, I'm not trying to pat myself or my church on the back. A few years ago, we had a we at the church I was at in Denver. We had an usher, a young guy, um, who had just got out of prison, and he was he had been ushering for a few years, and we became he and I became friends, and we would have lunch probably once a month or so. But between lunches, he would ask me, "Hey, Marcus, can you give me a ride to the courthouse?" He he had committed a crime years ago, and he was paying restitution to the United States justice system, right? He owed so much because of what he had done. I think the number was like $10,000. The job that he worked, he would not have possibly been able to pay that money in, in an acceptable amount of time. You understand what I'm saying? It would have took him years to pay the money. I think we did the math at one time. Every time... He and I would be driving to the courthouse, he'd be shaking in my front seat because he was so scared that the money that he was giving to the court would not be enough and they would lock him up again. We'd get to the courthouse, we'd stand beside him, he'd go in front of the judge, and the judge would say, okay, you're paying this amount, can you pay more, can you do this? And he said, yes, I could try, but he was, he was an hourly worker. Well, the church got wind of this one year, and we were doing the year of Jubilee, And our church decided to pay off his restitution. Every single penny. Do you know how grateful he was? Can you imagine sitting in his seat, right? We went to the judge and said, here is the check for his restitution. He does not have to come to you here and be fearful anymore. Every one of us here owed a debt that we could not pay. Everyone here owed a debt for sin that we could not possibly pay. God, who being all-knowing, purposed in his heart before the foundation of the world, that he would take on our debt, He would leave his riches and become poor so that you and I, by grace, through faith, can be free. Now we could receive this incredibly generous gift of eternal life. Jesus Christ, who was wealthy in all divine privileges, but he chose to become a poor human being in order to give us access to the riches of salvation. Maybe you missed it. We were all going to stand in front of a judge, a just God, with the penalty of sin, with the penalty of death hanging over us, and we could not possibly pay that. And Christ stepped in, came from his riches, and took on our burden so that we can live in the riches of eternal salvation. That is the greatest generous gift that he has given us. And we cannot hoard that. It is unnatural for us to hoard the generosity that God has given us. It is as if God has given us a bag of seeds as farmers and we are holding on to it and not giving it out. Somebody got it. That is that's the generosity of the gospel. This is why we should be and should become generous because he was first so generous to us. If you sit here today and say, I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, this ought to be or become a part of your DNA. Generosity you should be known for. The church of Corinth should be known for generosity. Redemption Church in Tucson should be known for our generosity. We will not get to glory. God will. A legacy of generosity is based, based on the gospel will set us free. Hoarders die. Generous people live. People wondering, man, I need to fight this consumer side that I have in me. I need to, I need to wrestle. I'm, I'm so consumeristic in X, Y, and Z. This is the antidote to consumerism. Our sinful, self-preserving nature says, look, I can take care of myself. I can take care of my own. And if I give, I expect something in return. Have you ever gone to your neighbor's house? Maybe you ran out of something? and you go there, so I need some salt, or I need this, or I need, to, you know, so there's no snow shovels here, but you get to, right? Or I need a rake or something, and they help you. What do you do? Maybe for me, I, like I put, in the back of my mind, I put a check mark. like I got to give them. I got to pay them back in some way. I got to do something, right? You don't have to. Accept generosity and be generous. The gospel says, I have enriched you in every way so you can be generous in every way. I know this is not English. I'm very proficient in English, but I'm going to say the next phrase, and I hope it sticks in your brain. You can't not afford to be generous. As I close this evening, if you're sitting here, and most of you, if you're sitting here and you're a college student or a grad student or even you're between jobs, I hope this message and this passage and this sermon has been a relief. That you're thinking generosity purely on a financial level. Maybe you've purposed in your heart that someday when I get the job, when I graduate and I get the job, I'll be able to give. When I, get, when I, when I start making more money, I'll be able to give. But you're thinking purely financial. My question to you this evening, if you're in that boat, is when do you think this passage will begin to apply to you? Is there a time limit? They said, after this point, I can start. It applies to all of us right now. Am I on your couch? Not only does it apply to you now, but you can live a generous life now without constraining yourself to purely finances. Give financially, of course, with joy. Live a generous life. As the hymn says, as Dom so wonderfully sang this week, Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. As you walk out of here tonight, I want you to think and become a Christian a, and become a more generous christian and not just in the financial sense but in a communal sense in a bigger sense in a, in a in a word thought and deed sense in in a network sense in a knowledge sense the church in corinth the church in macedonia they were very poor financially but they were able still able to give to the church in jerusalem who were Believe it or not, Jewish Christians, and they were Gentiles. That's a whole other sermon. You understand. To become a Christian is to become more generous, ladies and gentlemen. By your heads. Thank you, dearest Father, for the generosity that you showed to us throughout these years. Lord, the mere fact that we have breath in our bodies and our bodies are still functioning is a direct, is a direct function of your generosity. Tonight, we'll walk outside and, 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 and be able to breathe and look at a beautiful, beautiful city, beautiful mountains all around us. So It's, it's a it's generosity that you've given us. The homes we have, the places we go, the friends we have, the community we, we've built is a function of our generosity. Lord, we pray that we do not become hoarders of your generosity, but we, we, we bless everyone. We bless people who come on our path in every way because we have been rich in every way. And we become a more generous people. In Jesus' name, amen.